Personally, I just feel like it's just, it's that space that you have for yourself and it's the one time where there's no filter. Like you're not speaking to anybody. There's no one who's going to read, you know, hopefully no one's going to read it. Um, so you can just, you know, say what you want and have time to explore and engage thoughts and come back to them. Because there's things that I'll write down and it's like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thought. It was only when I, like, it just came up and I might come back to it and write something on it or it might like spark something else. And I just think... It's just so therapeutic as well, personally for me. Um, and I think it's one practice that sort of really helped in terms of being disciplined, like knowing, like if I get into bed, for instance, and I think this doesn't happen often, but I turn off the lights and I forget to journal, I'll have to turn it back on and write something really? down. Have like, you ever done that? I ha yeah, a few up. times, yeah. Interesting. Because um, I'm just like, I've done it. Because you know when you build up a routine for so long, yeah. let's say if it's the gym, whatever, and you miss a day or something, yeah. then you feel like, oh, no, I can't let my streak. It's your assault on your character. <laughs> exactly, it, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so for me, it's just very therapeutic. Um, and it just, in terms of ideas and even creativity, it's just sparked a lot as well. Um, and it's honestly something I would just like encourage loads of people to do. Sadeddin Suleiman, how was your week, bro? We recently launched the Have You Met newsletter, and I think... For me, I'm really grateful that we, we launched it because, as you've mentioned, Suleiman, it's like a way to hold yourself personally accountable in a very systematic way. So now I'm making sure that not only am I thinking about what I've thought about that week, but I'm putting it down on paper and I'm thinking about the way I articulate it. A lot of the things we think about when we do have you met, uh, Suleiman and I, the conversations we have, it's about longevity. And one of the things we said is, I wonder what it will look like in two years' time. And I think that is a really nice thought because um, it applies not only to the newsletter, but the conversations we have and all of the stuff we do when it comes to have you met and how, for me at least, it's something that I treasure. And I'm like, I'm really grateful to that first year uni version of myself um, to like link up to man, like, I come, let's do this. And all of the ups and downs and roller coaster ride it's been <laughs> since back then. So, yeah, that's been my, my thought of the week. Um, talking about like the roller coaster journey of have you met like every now and then I might just go on the YouTube channel and just look at one of our old old videos just because it makes me feel so nostalgic and it makes me feel kind of proud bro I'm not gonna lie to you because when I see some of them old school videos <laughs> me and Saturday we always crack up because our first ever episode <laughs> with Natanib which I believe is the third most popular video we've ever released uh, <laughs> it's like <laughs> so the, the audio was so um messed up that <laughs> when, if you listen if you listen to the episode <laughs> with, with your headphones you, yeah. <laughs> Every time someone speaks, you either hear them from one ear or the other <laughs> ear. So it would, like, you don't get to hear one person from both ears. And I used to, I was like, this is, indeed. this is actually a really smart thing to do because they don't know who's speaking, right? Um, um, if so it's the right ear, you know, you know Saturday yeah, said about it. If it's the left ear, you know it's nothing. That's the way I justified it back in the days. But <laughs> he very quickly was like, yo, we need to get some proper mics. We need to get some proper mics. Um, but yeah, and then one other thing I'll quickly say, and then maybe I'll go into more depth later, is... um. We had a brief conversation with Sarah before we started about all, I mean, oral histories, and that's something that we might touch on later today. I was like listening to like um, a recording from someone in my family on the way here, actually, which is why when you mentioned it, it really just like it was like, right, like, mm -hmm. what coincidence? So that's something that maybe we'll talk about a bit later as well. But Sarah, how was your how was your week? My week was good. Um, I was saying to Saladin earlier, like I've just um, finished probation for like this new job that I have. 
Um, so yeah, it's weird to think that like time has gone so quickly. As you know, one of the first questions we like to ask is like, what is one of your earliest memories? So what is one of your earliest memories? Um, I think a lot of my earliest memories revolve around like play. So I have four older brothers and it was just literally just like tagging along and playing with them. Um, we used to have like a huge shed in the garden. And I don't know if you guys remember Beyblades. Yeah, of course. So Beyblades, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like Pokemon, like that's what we were on. Um, and I remember also, this is something that my mum and my dad tell me now, but also it's a memory that I have. But growing up, I was very much, um, being like the eldest daughter, I had no sisters obviously at that point. Um, so I was convinced I was a boy. So anytime anyone tries to say to me, oh, you're a girl, my mum will try to put on a dress or like give me earrings. I would like throw a tantrum, like, no. And I even have a memory of me climbing up the stairs and my brother teasing me like, oh, you're a girl. And I'm like, no, I'm a boy. Like I literally have that memory. Um, so yeah, just a lot of play. Um, and just, I think I have a lot of fun memories when I think about childhood. Um, and I feel like during that time, my brothers really shaped a lot of like, like my interests and things I was into. Um, but I guess in terms of like, I think we were speaking about music earlier. Um, but I guess the question I have for the two of you is like, as an older sibling, what things do you think you have put your younger siblings on mm. and vice versa? Do you feel like your older siblings have put you guys on things? Mm. Sick. Sick question. Uh, to, to, to add context, I would say my brother is quite um, disciplined and quite, uh, what's the word? Like self-reliant. My brother's the type of guy, if you're out with your friends, and like, there's another motive that potentially everyone's going to. Mm. He'll be the one guy that'll be like, "Now nah, I'm going home," like, and he'll be like, "Come mm. on, man, let's go." Like, it's this or it's that. And I'm, I'm going home. Like, right, in a bit. And like, mm. to me, yeah, whenever I see the person like that in a friendship mm. group, I'm like, I want to try. I'm trying to be like you. Mm. Like that ability to just go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not even in like a like a reactive way. Just like, now nah, I'm going home. Alright, cool, take care. So. Yeah, that's. Do you want to claim that and say that you put him on that? <laughs> <laughs> that was all you. It was all my yeah. inculcation over the years. Like, bro, <laughs> this is what you have to learn. Yeah. Um, did you, let me yeah. ask you a question. As big bro, big bro, did you ever have a conversation with him about like this is this is the way things run in school? For example, when mm. you were when he when he just joined year seven, mm. or like any transitional moment mm. where like you were like, this is what I would do if I was you, or mm. this is what I wish I knew when I was at this stage. Like, did you ever mm. have that kind of conversation with him? Mm. Um, I don't remember having a conversation, a sit down. So I would go to school and come back home with my brother um, like on the way to secondary school. Are you guys similar in age? Yeah, he's two years younger than me. Um, I don't know why, but whenever I think about school, yeah, I just think about violence, innit? Mm. So everything was just about how to navigate violence. Everything was about that to the, ex to the point where probably a lot of other things were neglected. But how many brothers do you have? Or like, how many older siblings? Um, six brothers, four older than me. Okay. Um, then me and my sister. So there's eight of us in total. Okay. What are some kind of stories or kind of memories growing up with your older brothers that kind of, um, what you feel like were quite formative, or you feel like kind of, um, that mm. you remember quite vividly to this day? Mm. Um. I I feel like it's just spending time with each other, mm. um, as a family. Um, especially during like Eid or Ramadan, like we'd all, that's the one time we would all like intentionally like have a meal together. 
Um, Because usually you've just got other stuff going on. Um, So I think those are like sitting around the table is just one fond memory I have and just like making jokes at each other's expense. Um, But yeah, I think it's uh, honestly just play and just like that quality time. Um, Especially growing up, I feel like that was just so formative and just so like essential to have. An ideal day would be everyone just being together, um, like with the kids, maybe watching a film, reminiscing on the past. Um, I think that would definitely be like an ideal thing. In terms of an activity, I think any like card games, we spoke about like Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff, but not that we play it now, but I think any card games, yeah, mm. is functional with like a big group. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? I was just going to quickly say that you said that um, on the dinner table, you might make jokes at, like, at each other's expense. Mm. So what's like, the, what, what's, what does humour look like in your family? And like, what, like mm. are you, would you say you're most similar to anyone, any of your brothers in particular? Or Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. I think in my family, my eldest brother, um, Ahmed, he's like the joker. Um, and then I would say... I'm equally the joke. <laughs> like it's, it's like the two of us will just be bantering with one another yeah. and everyone else will just be observing us. Mm. Um, and then my mum. So I think us three are like the ones that like make the jokes and pull people in. Um, yeah. What's your style of humour like in terms of what kind of jokes do you make? It, it depends on the like my victim. Um, <laughs> so it would literally, if you just, I think with family, like you've just got, you tease each other a lot. Mm. So I think picking up on things. Um, it's a lot of, especially now when people move away and you don't live together, it's a lot of, oh, do you remember when this happened? And just reminiscing and nostalgia. Um, but yeah, I think it really depends on who it is. But I just, yeah, teasing is a big part of it. Have either of you ever kind of explored journaling as like um, an outlet to kind of, mm. to kind of yeah, just, just to kind of um, mm. explore that part of your um, self? So yeah, yes, now I do. Um, I think initially it wasn't an intentional thing. I remember um, being in primary school, and I don't know about you guys, but back in primary, we used to, at the end of every week, they'd give you like worksheets in terms of homework. So you might get like three worksheets for maths, English, and science. Um, And we would have, because there was like a few of us, so we would have long drives like to each school to pick people up. So I would do my homework in the car um, like, just finish it really quickly because I wanted to spend my weekends playing um, and my parents weren't on it. They were like, you need to be doing homework. They took education really seriously. So my mum would get like scrap paper and give it to me and be like, okay, you've done your homework, but like do a continuation of what did you learn in class today? And da, da, da. Mm. And that's how I started like, not subconsciously, but journaling. So I would just literally talk about like, this is what I did with my day and da, da, da. And that was like something like she would regularly review. Mm. And then it's sort of like, progressed into having like an actual you know those diaries with like locks back in the day like every girl it was like a big thing to have um and a key and we used to have like those really big fluff, fluffy pencils i don't know if you remember um but i'd have that more because it's like an aesthetic um throughout i'd say primary and secondary and then i think in sixth form i took it a bit more seriously um and then now it would just be like i'll carve out time each day to just sit even if it's like one word like that stood out or a few words or mm. a paragraph it doesn't have to be anything deep um but just making time to write something down um and personally i just feel like it's just it's that space that you have for yourself and it's the one time where there's no filter like you're not mm. speaking to anybody there's no one who's going to read uh, you know hopefully no one's going to read it um so you can just you know say what you want and have time to explore and engage thoughts mm. and come back to them because there's things that 
I'll write it down. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thought. It was only when I like it just came up and I might come back to it and write something on it or it might like spark something else. And I just think it's just so therapeutic as well, personally for me. Um, and I think it's one practice that sort of really helped in terms of being disciplined, like knowing, like if I get into bed, for instance, and I think this doesn't happen often, but I turn off the lights and I forget to journal, I'll have to turn it back on and write something really? down. Have like, you ever done that? I ha- yeah, a few up. times, yeah. Interesting. Because um, I'm just like, I've done it. Because you know when you build up a routine for so long, yeah. let's say if it's the gym, whatever, and you miss a day or something, yeah. then you feel like, oh no, I can't let my streak. It's your assault on your character. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So for me, it's just very therapeutic. Um, and it just, in terms of ideas and even creativity, it's just sparked a lot as well. Um, and it's honestly something I would just like encourage loads of people to do. What's something you've noticed about yourself through reading past journal entries? Um, that's something I don't do often. Um, they are like, for instance, I have things that I've written from like primary or secondary and it's just like, I won't, I don't like to go back at things just because I'm like, oh, because sometimes you do something that might be a bit cringy or you've, gr- the whole point of journaling is you've grown, right? So it's really weird to look back at yourself in that light. Um, I actually I remember this was a teacher of mine. We did, um, I think it was like, uh, you know, when you've got English, you do those, those assessments where you're, is it speaking, listening? Yeah. Um, and it was recorded. It was a poem that I did. And I think I was about, I think I must've been like year nine or 10. Um, and I remember re-watching it back in year 13. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I hadn't watched it in all these years. And I was so shocked. And she, and I remember just being like, oh my God, what am I doing? Da, da, da. Um, and she was like, you're not being really, you're not being very nice to that little girl. Mm. And that reframed the way I look at part, like younger versions of myself. Because mm. really, when you look back at it, I was just like a young girl, like going for it. Da, da, da. You have no like inhibitions or anything. And same with journaling. Like sometimes I look back at stuff and I'm like, I just need to have mercy on myself because mm-hmm. that's all you knew at that time. You were doing the best with what you could in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in terms of what I've noticed is, and a big part of why I like to journal is I just love watching the growth. So I, I might write down a, a goal or something or write down something and then months or years later, it's like progressed into something else. And it's like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I love making those connections. Um, and I think just being very reflective, I think journaling has really helped with that. What's mm. one, this is a question for, for both of you. What's one kind of personality trait or like something about your younger self, like maybe your 14 year old self mm. that you want to do more of, that you want to kind of bring mm. back in a way that you feel like is somewhat maybe mm. not as, not, not as kind of, mm. yeah. Um, I feel like it's when I was younger, Going back to that example, for instance, yeah. I think I had a lot more courage. Um, I think I had, to, yeah, a lot more courage. And I think that came from being young and naive and maybe you're viewing the world with like rose-tinted glasses or whatever. Um, but I realized as I've gotten older, that sort of diminished slightly. So I remember actually when I was, I must've been 16. It was just after I completed my GCSEs. Um, and I was like doing, I was just about to start my um, A-level. So it was that summer. And I remember I had smashed my GCSEs. I was like feeling good about myself, really confident. Um, and I remember going into like our local pharmacy and they had like a sign up where it was like, 
they were advertising for, I think it was like a pharmacy technician role. Um, but all you needed was like five GCSEs, A to C. And I was like, I've got that. Da, da. And I was applying to like pharmacy at that time. I was at six. So I handed in my CV. Da, da, and in my head, no one's like, I had just handed in my CV, but in my head, I got that job. Mm. I went home. I bought a uniform for the job that I, I, did. <laughs> I bought a uniform. That's I cancelled plans. I remember there was a club that I used to have in the evenings. I literally I took my name off it. I was like, I've got work, guys. I'm sorry, I can't join you. No one got back. This is like the level. I feel like I was a bit delusional in terms of like, that's how much confidence I had as a kid. And I remember calling um, calling up every day, being like, oh yeah, when can I start? And then they're like, oh, we'll get back to you, we'll get back to you. And I think like by the end of the week, they're like, if you haven't heard from us by now, then do you know what I mean? You haven't got it. And I just remember being so like, Shock, like, well, but I've got the grades. And I think as a kid, you um, you don't realize that there's so many other ex external factors, mm -hmm. right? It's not about good grades or working harder. There's just so many other things that play into it. Um, but I do definitely feel like I miss the courage that I had as a kid. Um, and I wish I had a bit more of that now. I think I'm very, um, just very reserved about doing certain things. Um, whereas when I was younger, I would just go for it. I wouldn't really care who fake, like who thinks what. And whether or not like I fail or succeed, I'll just do it because I want to do it. Whereas now I really like rationalize everything. It's like, but why am I doing that? What is that going to lead to? And da, da, da. I won't do something just because I want to do it. Like there'll have to be like an actual reason. Um, so definitely courage. Yeah, this isn't really answering the question, but for me, what comes to mind is how I had this one year when I was in year 10, or like year 10, year 11, where basically I didn't have a phone. Mm. And it was like a whole year where I just didn't have a phone in it. And I, I just remember like my train journeys because I, I used to get the train to go to school. So I used to just really look outside the window a lot mm -hmm. and I really just observe what was mm -hmm. going on around me. I would even pick up the Metro and read the, read, mm -hmm. the, read the newspaper. And today when I was bringing some of the equipment to, to Route 25, I had to get a taxi to the station and um, I didn't like put in my AirPods for like five minutes. I was just looking outside the window and I was like, I don't remember the last time yeah i've just mm. sat somewhere and just looked outside the window and f a few years ago i would have that would have been my entire journey i would have just like s looked outside the window mm. and that would have been it for 25 mm. minutes 50 minutes however long that journey was but now there are so many other kind of things that we do especially like with our mm. phones and stuff so it's interesting yeah. actually you say that um because i was thinking recently i've gotten into this habit where I really struggle, other than like the time I carve out every day to journal, but I really struggle to like just sit still and do nothing. Mm. So even small things like, and this is when I knew it was a problem, like I'll go to like the kitchen and like um, put on the kettle or microwave something that literally takes a minute. I can't sit there. I literally have to, I'll put on my pot, like find something to listen to. Like yeah. that's how like yeah. I have to be busy all the time. And it's like this whole disease of being busy. Like why can't you just sit still and like yeah. look out the window or, you know, watch the kettle da, da, da. why are we scared or unable to even just be bored i think that whole thing of being bored is like e when we were younger we didn't have all the, like entertainment social media it was like just sit there and be bored um and i think as you get older and i think just as the way society is progressing now um you have very rare moments where you're like that you always have other stimuli and external stuff to like occupy you mm. and i think it's really i just think it's harmful because it's like you don't allow yourself to just breathe and like, you know, consolidate your thoughts or whatever. It's just like, what, what else can I sort of engage and you're not really sitting and yeah. My bike always has issues and recently I've, I've like plastered over one of them and so now I can cycle. And so I cycled here from, from my house 
and it's about a 45 minute 50 minute cycle and i'm so happy cycling like the mm. idea of jumping on public transport and having to just sit there and just take it's, that's how i feel like you're just mm. being you're having to take london mm. it's being enforced upon you mm. um whereas when i'm on my bike i feel like i am i am the agent in this mm. i'm not just passive mm. um and i think even though it's maybe not the same as like being overly stimulated or, or these kind of things but for me there's a sense of like i'm living i'm mm. not just surviving when i'm on my bike and i'm just cutting through and like oh but maybe i'll go down this road or maybe mm. i'll go down this street or maybe i'm gonna I'll take this right here or take this left here or like oh wait there's a market here like i didn't know that let me just see what this mm. market's saying like even these look like micro mm. decisions mm. i'm like okay this is this is actually what it looks like to live mm. as opposed to i mean i love the tfl <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's for me like it's those moments or like those micro decisions that make me look back on my day and go like, yeah, no, today was alright. Going back to like the topic of school and like kind of trying to track that journey a little bit, how would your friends have described you when you were at school? Um. In secondary, I think they would say I was quite like focused. Um, I think I was very determined in terms of like my studies, like doing well. Um, so I'd probably be similar to your brother, like, oh no, guys, I can't join you. Um, I'd like to say that they would say I was funny as well. Um, and then maybe stoic. Um, I don't think we had the vocab back then. They'd probably say like unfazed or very calm. But now some would say stoic. Um, yeah, I think those are three. Interesting. Interesting. So kind of, I've got this picture of you just being like this wise, wise <laughs> person. <laughs> just levitating in the, the playground. Not just even. Like <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother me. Oh, Sarah, one more question, please. <laughs> <laughs> what is it this time, yeah. Margaret? <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, why were you focused? I think my dad really drilled in education. Um, sometimes I feel like if it wasn't for him, would I have, would I be doing what I'm doing now? And also would I have taken education as seriously? Um, I'd like to think I would, but I think, yeah, honestly, my dad was very much like education is like a big thing. He'd always be like asking me questions like, what are you reading? What are you doing? Um, I even remember one time at uni, um, I don't know how, but I went into a lecture, which wasn't my lecture. And I only realized halfway through and then I was like, oh, crap, I can't leave. So I waited to the whole thing. And I came home. It was like a funny story. I was like, oh, yeah, dad. Like I went to a random lecture, um, but it wasn't mine. And he's like, oh, what did you learn in the lecture? Mm. Like he was very big at don't waste time. Like, op- like really maximize everything you're doing. Even now, like working from home, there'll be moments in the day where like you might go upstairs and like chill. If, you're, if you all live together, right? I might go to my dad and like have a cup of tea, talk to him. And he's like, shouldn't you be working now? Like, Go, like, he's very like disciplined, mashallah. Um, so I think because of him, I, that's where all of that came from. It was always like, I want to please him. Like anytime you get a good grade, like, oh, I got this. Um, but yeah, and I think he, just knowing like his journey and his life, I could see why education was so important for him and f- like why it meant so much for us to like take it seriously. Um, yeah. mentioned how your friends might have described you 
I want to talk about this idea of perception and like how that might have informed the way you carried yourself uh, consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously, not unconsciously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think it's interesting. I feel like um, in terms of perception, everyone perceives you differently and everyone has like different versions of who you are based on your interactions or based on maybe their own like personal projections. Um, So for instance, the way, and I think this is for a lot of people, the way you are with your friends is different to the way you are with your family or the way you are with your colleagues. Um, And that was something I've only become aware of maybe in the last few years. Um, More so because I think I'm very like, I'm just very aware and conscious of how others perceive me. So if there's any actions or if they say something, I just think I, I just pick up on those small things. And especially in the workplace, um, the way I am, I, f- I feel like my colleagues have a very different, my older colleagues at my old place had a very different perception of me compared to like any other sort of like environment you'd put me in. Um, so yeah, I just feel like it comes from like, yeah, the people you're interacting with. Um, and it's interesting because I remember reading this, um, it's a novel by this Italian author, and the protagonist, he, it's like this whole exploration of like your sense of self and how existence is very fluid. And he has like this version of who he is, right? And then he realizes throughout the book that everyone he's ever like interacted with has a very different perception of him. And then he ends up going crazy because he's like, but none of these versions correspond to who I think I am. So who am I? And is, is who I am like in a room on my own? Is that really who I am? Do I need other people to validate mm. that for me? Um, so that was really interesting because it just got me thinking about there's just so many different versions of you. Um, mm. And like existence is so multifaceted as well. Um, so yeah, I think like even just off of that, sometimes I think about what version of me do I not prefer or do I feel like is most authentic? Is it the version when I'm on my own or is it when I'm with like close people, like, you know, family and friends, is that the most authentic side of me? Because when I'm on my own, there's no one to validate that. Mm. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? I would even go, I would even personally take it a step further than just validate. It's like, there's nowhere, there's no one to test, there's no opportunity to test mm. who you are. Yeah. Like, how do you know that you're something mm. if you're not tested it? Like, kind mm. of in terms of, so if, if that's so interesting. I never thought mm. about it like that, about how, so for me, like, for me to figure out who I am, I need to be in a situation with other people. Mm. It's like, for me, the way I think about it now, and I, I'm, I would love to kind of, expand this over i mean in the future but yeah like people basically make Mm. or define that kind of a fundamental for for figuring out who you are right interested to know a bit more about your dad because you mentioned him and like you mentioned how you have a very close relationship with him and um he prioritized education and you said now you kind of get why education Mm. was so important for him so why, why, why do you think education was so important for him? I feel like with a lot of immigrant parents, it is that thing of like, this is, this is your way out or this is your answer. Um, I think over time, as I've gotten older, like in uni and stuff, it was more so like, and even now it's like, just always learn. Like, don't think just because you're finished with uni, that's it. Like constantly seek knowledge. Um, just to inform even like your worldview or like your stance on things. Um, but I think with him, it was like, yeah, that was just the way with all of us. It was very much, this is integral. Like if you want to do it, and 
I think because he didn't have that opportunity, he wanted that for us. Um, and I think even just in terms of like who he is as a character, like he's very, and I think we were speaking about like oral, um, like archives and stuff like that. Um, so with him, I've learned a lot of things through him, like just doing projects and stuff and having conversations. And I remember there was a time, um, I think I might have been 15 or 16, and we were in a GP waiting room together and he um, had a scar on his finger. Mm. And I just randomly asked him like, oh, like how did that happen? Just making small talk. And he's like, oh yeah, um, you know, I, I got electrocuted like on a building, I fell down and then I, they pronounced me dead and they buried me alive. Just like so matter of factly. And I was like, what? Like, this is, this is someone I've lived with my whole life and I did not know this story. And I was like, if I knew that, that would be like my opening story. Don't you tell people, like, I was, um, I was buried alive. Um, and then it kind of led to like having other conversations. So I think even during that period, I remember we were doing, um, we were putting together like a light or a chandelier or something and I was helping him. And then he got a random phone call and he picked it up. And my dad, doesn't, we don't have much extended family. It's just my parents and my siblings. And he just picked it up and just started speaking a different angle I've never heard in my life. <laughs> Mad. For half an hour. Mad. And I remember me and my brother just looked at each other like, at first we thought he was joking with us and it went on for half an hour. So seemingly, and he put, put it back down, put on his glasses and continued what he was doing. And I was like, you're not just going to brush over that. Like, <laughs> who was that? And da, da, da. And then you just learn, I just learned so much about him um, through having conversations. And I think, you kind of take your parents for granted. Um, you see them as like, that's my mom and dad, their job is to provide for me and da 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 and raise me. And you know, then you go on and live your own life and you don't really give it much thought um, or you don't humanize their stories or give meaning to their lived experiences. Um, but I think through having those conversations, like that spark, like, okay, tell me about your childhood and why da da da. And then he told me his whole, cause I never thought to ask my dad, like for instance, questions like, why did you leave your country of birth? Why did you come? Why did you come to the UK? Why not the States or Canada or whatever? Why East, like, why East London specifically? Why this? Why? All those questions, you just take it as part and parcel of that's yeah. his story, but you don't ask why. Mm -hmm. And I think it led to me asking, okay, from your like, childhood to now, to why? And, da, da, da. and then it got me seeing like, oh my gosh, like my parents and even my mom, they're just like, they tell you their stories and like, they're just too, um, they're just humans, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think it also allows you to have mercy on them. Um, I remember seeing this quote recently, it was like, oh, remember it's your parents' first time doing life as well. And I was like, oh, because you think your parents have that's all deep. this wisdom. That's deep. That's deep. All right, because you think they have all this wisdom and knowledge, and of course they do, but also it's their first time parenting. It's, they're also humans, they're going to make mistakes, and you don't realize this until you really humanize them. Um, and for me, those conversations were just so important. Um, and I remember there was this, there's this principle, I think it's called the seventh um, generation principle, and it's based on this whole thing of how do you make a more sustainable world for like moving seven ger generations forward. But equally, I like to look at it, but like look seven ger generations forward and also seven generations back, because you should also think about history. Like where do I come from? What's the context behind this? And da da da. In order to like make those, you know, with like inshallah kids and grandkids, da, they need to know like all that context and history. And I feel like just having conversations like over COVID, we had like a project. Um, where it was like just asking my dad a lot of questions and then archiving that, recording it, um, and then writing it out. And, and it just leads to a lot of stuff. Um, and I think it just develops your relationship with your parents so much more. I think as you get older, you realize that I'm not just their child and they're my parent. It's like, we're both now two adults. 
and how do we like relate to one another and how what is that relationship now because it, it changes drastically um I think when you're younger, you look at your parents like, and you still do at this age, like they know everything. That then you get older, you're like, okay, now there needs to be a sort of like, not mutual thing, but it's like you're both relating with one another in a very different way. Um, and yeah, I think it's just something I encourage people. Like, if you still have your parents in your life, or you've got good relationships with them, even grandparents, elders, just sit with them and ask them questions. Mm. Just, just ask them questions, and they're more. I think with them, they're more than happy to like share. It's just that like we don't ask. Um, so yeah, I think that's just like a big thing. Um, and it's just strengthened that bond, um, def like so much more. And it's even something I'm conscious of, like in the future when I have kids, like having that relationship and yeah, just having that relationship and having those conversations. Has there been a moment that's made you realize that your relationship with your father has kind of evolved? Do you know what I mean? Have you got, had a mm. conversation or there been an interaction where you're like, mm my relationship is slightly different. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's kind of, not like, like you said, you're two adults speaking to each other now. Like, has there been yeah. a recent experience that's made you realize that? Mm. I feel like being like the eldest daughter, I've always had like that expectation and like from, and a big part, I think I mentioned this earlier of why I had so much confidence was because my dad instilled it in me. Like he's the type, literally, if I was to climb on top of a building and say, oh yeah, I can, if I jump, I can fly, like jump. Like he has that, he's given me so much conviction. Like he has that much trust in me. Even sometimes I'm like, where do you see it? Like the stuff that he says about me, I'm like, I don't see that about myself, but he has that level of trust and faith in me. Um, so I, I feel like I've always had that throughout um, school. Like even to the point, like my dad has like, there's the six boys, right? And he'd always say, if I was to put my six sons on a scale, my like, one daughter, like you would outweigh them like, I mean, like that's the level that like, he had, like even from young. And I think recently, maybe during COVID, maybe during the last few years, we did have a conversation where it was like, I can't remember the context, but it was just like, I'm so proud. Like, you know, I'm just very proud. And it was just a very open conversation about where we are at with our life at the moment. Um, and that's when I realized that, well, like, do you know what I mean? Like we've got this different sort of, yeah, this different relationship. And even I think sometimes when he asks my opinion, opinion on things, that's a big thing, like, oh, wow, like, he really, of course, I know that he values it, but the fact that they come to me, my mum and dad, and they'll ask me on things, like, how do you think we should manage this and that? That's when I realised, mm. like, oh, this is a different relationship. Mm. It remi like, even my dad, when he was like, oh, he was buried alive. So they, he was five, and they um, they had pronounced him dead, everything, like, they had, like, done, like they were literally preparing for the janaza, and his body was, like, in the casket, everything. Oh. And then imagine, it's a small village. This is, my dad was born in Ethiopia. Um, and then this random like guy comes and in a small village, everyone knows everyone. Like there's no strangers, you all know each other. Um, this random old man like comes and he comes to like the first row and they're just about to pray. And they're like, and there's that, like, wait, can someone get me like a vessel of water? And then they're just like, what are you doing? Like, what you, we don't even know who you are. Like you're disturbing the predator. Um, and then they're like, okay, whatever, go get it for him. And he didn't say, wait, he got it. And he just threw it in the casket and my dad woke up. That and then and then imagine wild. he woke up that they turned the guy disappeared until this day they don't know who that That's man is wild and he was sitting on that information for how many years <laughs> and i was like this could be like a party like, didn't mean tell me a funny story like just so casual what do you think it is like what is the, the 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 psychology of your dad to kind of just not share that is it just i feel like it's a lot of um immigrant fathers like they just don't they don't share things um and it's funny because I, I remember reading this article it was about 
um, the South Asian woman um, in the States and her dad had just recently passed away. Uh, no, sorry, he had passed away and then she wrote an article maybe some years later. And the whole article, she was saying that after he had passed away, her dad wasn't the type to share things with her. So during his funeral and like in the months and stuff that followed, loads of people would come up to her and they're like, they would tell her stories about her dad that she had never heard. And it was like, oh, like I didn't know my dad was like that. Da, da, da. And then she was describing how in the process of mourning the man that she knew as her father, she was also mourning all these different sides of him that she never like bothered to ask about or like, uh, you know, was mm. privy to. Um, and she was like, and then she ended it with like a bunch of questions that like she wished she asked her father. Mm. Um, and I think reading that, that was after I did like the project with my dad. I was like, oh, I'm so grateful that I've got this opportunity to do this. Um, but even just in her story, she was just saying that he was just not the type to like share those things with their kids. They're like, I think they put on this, this is my role and, da, 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 and they move on. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah. I feel like there's so many stories and so many things that our parents and like elders have. And it's just like, oh, let me ask. Um, yeah. I feel like your mom hasn't had enough airtime in this conversation. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, I'm dying. Because if she watches it, she'll be, she always says you, you love your father more than me. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, no, that's because everyone gives you so much attention. He's just like, Jeremy is just very stoic, just very. Yeah. Um, but no, honestly, my mom is just. Um, I can go on for days, like unmatched. Um, I shall love. But what what would you say are some like the the biggest lessons you've t you've kind of learned from her? Ooh, um, I think family, because um, she didn't grow up with much family. Um, it was just a big thing and relationships and community as well. Um, what does that mean and what does that look like and how do you build that? Um, I think just genuinely how to sort of navigate life. She's a very, very composed, like very composed woman. Mm. Um, and I think she doesn't let a lot of things like phase her. Um, so yeah, definitely I think just composure and just the importance of community. I love that phrase, how to navigate life. Because mm. it's, it's something that you can't learn. You just have to live. Yeah. And I think that it's not something like you can tell someone. It's yeah. just literally through observing her. It's like, okay, this is how she navigates certain things. And mm. then it's like, okay, if I'm ever in that situation, that's, mm. how, I that's how to do it. Yeah. Wow. What about you guys? Like things you picked up from your parents? Mm. I would probably say like, whatever you give you get back tenfold in return so mm. never miss an opportunity to give i think just be brave enough to admit when you're wrong and like not just admit when you're wrong but like try to correct your mistakes in a way so like for example like we might have um, a discussion where um, she's kind of being a bit stubborn and like uh, but like mom, mom's just being mum in it but then the following morning she'll kind of come and speak to me and be like I know I was being a bit stubborn mm -hmm. with you but like she'll just kind of bless it out do you know what I mean and like she like that we kind of have that relationship where um, and it, it works both ways as well do you mm -hmm. know what I mean when I, when I feel like I'm, I've been unreasonable then I'll kind mm -hmm. of correct my behaviour and like admit where I went wrong mm -hmm. and we um, and just yeah that, that kind of yeah, mm -hmm. that dynamic I love that yeah. It's interesting you said mm. that actually because I think a lot of people would say um, immigrant parents don't apologize. Mm. Um, yeah, in the moment, they, just, they definitely don't. Yeah, bro. or like even later on, they might just give you like a, pl a plate of food <laughs> and that's their apology. Um, so I like that she does that because I think 
what can happen is what as a kid if you're not apologized to you grew up not knowing how to apologize or not knowing when you're in the wrong and just being very stubborn Freedom is a big thing. Um, so not just financial, but also I think just in terms of your time, um, being able to do like what I want and being able to have free time because I think free time is a privilege that not a lot of us get. Um, being able to like, for instance, do hobbies or do things you enjoy and not have to worry about money, not having to worry about, I need to monetize this hobby or I need a stream of passive income, like just having that freedom. Um, I think that's a huge, huge part. And I feel like finances pay, play a big role into that because um, that, that affords you the freedom to do a lot. Um, I think community, we touched on earlier, um, being able to build and maintain a community, um, that's sustainable. So something that will not only benefit me, but benefit my family and you know future generations, inshallah. Um, and being able to sort of benefit them as well. So equally, as much as I take, I'm also able to like give in and like pour into people. Um, and lastly, I think a good life will probably be just serving and pleasing my parents um, as like a big goal. I think their pleasure and like just their, not approval, but I think their pleasure is really like integral to a lot of things that I do. Um, and just like their happiness and knowing that they're good. Um, so I think those three things. I don't think we really unpacked community that much in our conversation. So like, what are mm. some examples that come to mind of places and spaces and experiences where you felt like you were in a community or like you were a mm. part of a community? You yeah. felt that community spirit that yeah. people talk about. Where have you felt that? Um, so I think the first community I can speak of is like family, but I think that's just a given, right? Um, when I think of community, it's more so people that like, it's not blood, right? It just comes outside and it's not necessarily even friends. It can just be people like in close proximity or networks. Um, so I think growing up with the youth clubs, what I saw anyways growing up, they were more tailored towards boys. Um, where I grew up, I don't think there were many like clubs or stuff that were tailored to girls. So I think that level of like, that sense of community at that age, there was like, there wasn't really much. Um, other than maybe your friends or like the people you hang out with. Um, I think growing up, maybe like early 20s, um, the first sense of like this is a rural community outside of like friends and family and just strangers, I think that's the thing, um, would be like Homegirls Unite, uh, which is a platform for like eldest immigrant daughters, but open to basically like girls and women of like all backgrounds. But I think that for me was like the first sense of these are strangers that don't necessarily know what I've gone through, know nothing about me, but we're able to really relate to each other in a way that's just, do you know what I mean? Like it's just unmatched. And the level of support that they're able, and just like wanting you to succeed, right? And wanting to see you do well. And they have no reason to feel that way. Like they're not, they've got no, like they're not, you know, your family or friends. Like these are just people we've sort of met. I think that for me was the first sense of like, yeah, community. And I feel like those interactions left me feeling very, very fulfilled. Um, 
and a big part like now I've gone into like the community development side of things I used to work in corporate but a big part of just wanting to feel more immersed in the community um wanting to equally as much of like I've benefited from that how can I like also do that for other people um so I think community is so like important in terms of like what does a good life look like community is just I think one of the yeah, up there this is a bit of a tangent and I don't want to put you on the spot, bro, but mm. me is the funniest thing happened a couple of days ago. So I was in the British Library. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the British Library, like it was it two days ago. Oh. And I turn I turn my turn over, look over my left hand shoulder and I see Sad the Dean working on like on his computer, like literally two rows behind me. And you didn't plan it. I this, did not know? plan it at all. And it was in like the one reading room that it's like it's there's so many places oh, in the world you okay, could have been. Yeah, yeah. But of course, you know what I mean? Like, great minds speak alike, innit? So what, you saw him first? No, no, I saw him. I think he saw me first, but he saw I was in the zone. Oh, so he didn't approach you? No, he didn't. didn't. (laughs) He's like, I don't know him. (laughs) (laughs) Not out here, not out. (laughs) Whose man's is this? (laughs) Um, But I say all of that to say, you had an interesting interaction, didn't you, at the library? Do you want to speak about it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I'm so glad you asked. Um, So I went to register... To, to become a mm-hmm. British Library member, so I'm officially a British Is Library it? member. So talk to me <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll put a show on. Are you cinema? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh. Yeah, we yeah, members. Yeah. He's my referee. Is it? He's my referee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I was registering, I'm just in the queue as you do, like typical kind of queue up, wait, mm-hmm. get get your name called yeah. out. The person called my name out, and I just sat down, and he's behind the computer behind the glass screen and he's being very like quite polite and he's like oh mm-hmm. Saladin okay tell me about yourself uh, um so what are you here to study or what what kind of parts of the library do you think you'll be using the most mm-hmm. or I think he asked me what do you study or what did you study I said law or theology he said, mm-hmm. oh, okay where did you study he asked me I studied he studied at the same place mm-hmm. and it, and then what I said to Suleiman was a couple of things one was that it was a refreshingly sincere interaction mm. as in i don't know what it was but it was just so non-transactional mm. it was so pure like there was no i don't know i think sometimes a lot of interaction can be ego driven or whatever it is mm. or transactional and for me it i i remember as i was in conversation i was like wow this is really nice so what he ended up what i noticed is that like his body language was very open he was, mm. and he kind of shifted towards me and he would say like little comments mm. that were that sometimes when I'm in conversation with people and they drop a little comment I'll just always remember that comment like, mm. I'll always remember that phrase and a couple of them were you're one he said you're a good man and I don't know what it is yet but like <laughs> hearing that from like a distinguished gentleman yeah, was it affirming it was so like I'm like yeah but he said it in a way he's like he's a very um mm. you know like he calls his dad old man like he's mm. that kind from that mm. kind of um okay cut from that kind of cloth mm. um and he was telling me about his time at uni and he was saying mm. how he wishes he would have done another subject and um his father wanted him to go to like a very prestigious american university but he decided against that and he kind of went mm. his own way and carved out his own life and uh, when i was showing the story so the man so the man said a comment yeah well i was like yeah that's so true he's like do you know like the way you describe this man that mm. is an example of a man and i think i'm using man more purposefully than like a person um, I'm not sure why, but like that is an example of a man that has lived life on his terms. Like he's just mm. carved out his life, and he's he's had think he's had opportunities to do other things, mm. but he's decided no, this is what I'm going to do. And I could like when Suleiman said that, I was like, yeah, no, that is exactly what it was. It was just mm. like, yeah, I'm me, you're you. Let's have a chat. Oh, mm. interesting. That's where you're from. Mm. Okay, cool. And it was 
sincere. That's how I'll put it. So big up Kevin from the British Library. Yeah, man. Mm. It's funny. Um, yeah. When you said living life to your terms, um, it goes back here yeah, to freedom. Just like being yeah. able to just live authentically and do what you mm. want. Um, and it's interesting that you were able to, because that's a big, do you know what I mean? That's not an easy thing to say about someone. So the fact that you're able to say that in that short interaction mm. says a lot it's about crazy, him. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to look for him next time I go. Mate, Wait, are you a veteran as well? Yeah, of you course. Got, yeah. No way. Yes. That's why I'm like, yeah, I'm listening course. to this. She was looking at us, man, like, look at these. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why, why is it taking so long? <laughs> man, like, K dot. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah that's K dot. Like, that's just. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm going to intentionally seek him out next. Nah. Yeah, nice <laughs> what a G, man. Papa. Yeah, man. And one quick reflection, if I may, yeah. on this topic is um, how for me it's, uh, it's become increasingly important to continually, like, not take things for granted in terms mm-hmm. of, like, um, like, every single day, pretty much, yeah, I'm trying my best to kind of, I don't know how to put this into words, but it's like, really um uh just kind of refresh my um refresh what matters in it to me basically mm-hmm. in it and not kind of assume that things are going to be the way I mean, there are so many parts of the conversation that kind of come to mind but it's with family especially like your mm-hmm. dad and like mom like people in my family and just not assuming that they're going to be here and just mm-hmm. not assuming that things are going to continue the way that they currently exist or um yeah just yeah that continual kind of consolidation and mm. um yeah it's, it's, it's something that's important for me for a good life mm. i think that's where that's the link mm. basically isn't it yeah but yeah continually yeah. this reflection yeah 100 and not recall but if i could end it mm-hmm. um I, I don't know if this will go in i'm just saying it um i've gen yeah i've watched like all your podcasts and stuff and i genuinely really do enjoy it um so it's funny because like I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm behind the mic. Before like I had even like met either one of you. Um, so yeah, just keep doing what you guys are doing. Honestly, I feel like with a lot of things, like even personally, when I do stuff, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, are, you know, are people engaging with it? Da, da, da. But like, you'll be surprised that one or two people like, you know, that take stuff away from it. Um, so yeah, honestly, like, yeah, thank you for having me on. And just I genuinely just enjoy listening to the podcast um, and the discussions and the newsletter now as well. Thank you. It's a big honour. Um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on and being an avid listener. Not a fan. Not a fan. An avid, avid listener. listener. Avid yeah. listener. <laughs> now nah, it means a lot that you've shared this journey with us and, and long may it continue. Are there any projects or like anything you want to promote or like um, any... I would only um, plug Homegirls Unite. Okay. Um, follow them. They've got a podcast, news that are events. Um, just a really cool community space. Sick. Um, yeah. Sick. All right. Peace.